शौचालय इसलिए अलग अलग होनी चाहिए खुले में सोच नहीं करना चाहिए खुले में सोच करने से किशोरी लड़कियों को प्रॉब्लम होती समस्याओं का सामना करना पड़ता उसमें बीमारी भी फैलती है इसी कारण अलग अलग शौचालय होना जरूरी है one of the 300 girl champions who are at the center of the ab meri bari campaign by the 10 to 19 dasra adolescence collaborative across jharkhand and rajasthan these 300 champions are conducting a social audit of all the government schemes designed to serve them across the areas of health education reproduction nutrition and safety how we treat adolescents especially girls how we give them agency and empower them to reach adulthood reflects on the mores and the successes of any human society dr lakshmi lingam dr ramashyam and gurpriya saying join me on this episode of the pragati podcast to talk about sexual and reproductive health and rights in india and how it's central to the lives of hundreds of millions of adolescents across the country Welcome to the Pragati Podcast, a weekly talk show on public policy, economics and international relations. I'm your host, Pavan Srinath. Joining me today are Dr. Lakshmi Lingam, Dr. Ramashyam and Gurpriya Singh. Dr. Lingam is a professor at the Tata Institute of Social Sciences, Mumbai, who's worked extensively on gender, poverty and development for over three decades. Rama is the co-founder of SAFER. the society for awareness harmony and equal rights and leads the ehsas program at sneha in mumbai ehsas is empowerment health and sexuality of adolescents gurpriya singh is a development professional working with dasra i was able to record this episode in mumbai thanks to dasra dasra is a philanthropic organization that tries to bring about social change by driving collaborative action between funders development organizations and communities We'll start our conversation after a short break. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another awesome week on the IVM Podcast Network. If you aren't following us on social media, please make sure you do. We're IVM Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Also, quick reminder, please do fill out our survey. It's at ivmpodcast.com slash survey. It's a listener survey. We're trying to understand more about who's listening to our stuff, what kind of things you would like to see from us in the future, what you have been seeing so far, what you think of it. What shows you like? All kinds of different stuff. Also, who you are, right? So, I mean, like all kinds of different stuff. Just please do come in and fill it out. It will be really helpful. That's ivmpodcast.com/survey. Want to thank our sponsors this week: Cambly, Intel, and Storytel. Remember, sponsors are what make this stuff possible. So, if you enjoy the content, please do thank our sponsors. We have two new shows releasing this week. Lakshmi Krishnan, better known as Literary Chills on Twitter, talks to agents of literary culture on her show Litnama. She plunges deep into new genres of literature born in the digital era as she talks to the performers, storytellers, bloggers, poets and writers. New episodes are out every Tuesday from 10th December. The Traveling Professor's Diary is hosted by Siddharth Deshmukh. It's a show about a curious human being with an eagerness for travel and observation. He visits colleges such as MICA, SP Jain, Symbiosis, Flame, Upgrad, Talent Age and spreads the digital gospel of design, marketing and business transformation. Episodes are out every Tuesday and Thursday starting 10th of December. This week's The Scene and the Unseen celebrates its 150th episode. Amit is joined by publisher and editor VK Kartika. She talks about her journey of publishing and highlights the need of diversity in a publishing house. This week on IVM Likes, Abbas and Alakar are joined by me, Amit Doshi, along with Pavan Srinath, who hosts our Pragati podcast and Thala Arate. We discuss our favorite fantasy fiction movies, books, and everything else. Do tune in. It's quite a fun conversation. And we talk about all kinds of weird stuff. 
On Storytellers and Storytellers, Vineet is joined by storyteller Anisha Dixit, better known as Rikshawali and storyteller Tracy D'Souza, former channel head at TVF's Garliapa. They talk about the future of women creators in India, how they work with brands, and how their teams perceive them as leaders. On Ganatantra, Saryu and Alok unpack what happened in Maharashtra after the assembly polls and how the office of the governor has been misused to meddle in state politics. On Edges and Sledges, Ashwin Varun and DJ focus on the India vs. West Indies T20 series. On GBCD, Sunetra and Farah talk about relationships and breakups as they share their experiences of navigating through the same and learn to acknowledge their feelings. It's a crossover on the Empowering series as Zarina is in conversation with Chetna, host of Positivity Unlimited. They talk about her shift from the corporate world to life coaching, about positivity and self-belief. On 9XM Soundcast, Eva is joined by Bollywood singer Benny Dayal. They talk about his experience of working with A.R. Rahman and some of his favorite composers in Bollywood. And with that, let's get on with your show. Hi and welcome to the Pragati Podcast. I'm Pavan Srinath and it's a pleasure for me to record this episode in Mumbai today. Thanks to Dasra. Uh, I have with me Dr. Lingam. Uh, welcome. Uh, Rama, welcome. And Gurpriya, welcome. Uh, Gurpriya, thank you so much for making this possible from Dasra. Uh, I'm really happy that we're doing this these two episodes to talk about the challenges facing adolescents in the country, especially adolescent young women. And um, I'm really, really happy to be here. Uh, to start off with, I want to say that generally when we look at, you know, social sector or, um, you know, social policy and so on, there's a huge emphasis on maternal health, on early childhood health and nutrition. And it makes sense given how much of a problem infant mortality and maternal mortality has been a challenge in India. And so therefore, there have been targeted efforts. But once kids are born, they turn a few years old, maybe five years old. Apart from thinking about schooling, we seem to forget about them till they are 18. There seems to be this vacuum in policy and government action and honestly, our own minds beyond, you know, what parents might think of doing for their own children. Um, is this true? I mean, why, why do you think this is? Basically, we are a society that's very uh, inhibited when it comes to talking to children about a lot of aspects to do with our lives, particularly to do with sexual lives. Okay, the whole idea of sexuality, you know, attraction, hetero or homo attraction, you know, issues to do with pleasure, exploration of relationships. A lot of this is definitely not what we would like to engage with as parents or even encourage young people to ask questions about. So there is a major survey on youth in this country that actually tells you something, it's like one digit number, something like 4% of women or girls have spoken to their parents about understanding about their bodies or questions on their bodies. Or okay. another similar, Just 4%. yes, another similar 8 or 9% young girls attempted to ask some information on health. So this kind of rapport that needs to be there between parents and children to talk about a growing body, a changing body, and then the entire shift that takes place in terms of how we grow, all that is silenced. And basically, we seem to be a very aspirational age and an aspirational population that just wants our children to crack the JE, crack the NEET, you know, be toppers in their class in school, be all-rounders, be good in karate, dancing, blah, blah. It goes on and on. So the parental pressure on the child to be super successful you know, completely eliminates all possibility to have a life that's more rounded, the ability to ask questions, and also the possibility to fail. 
and again get up and move you know all these are just not being made available to adolescents or young people so i think there are lots of silences about how we are raising our children in those age groups and i think i'm glad we're talking about it today so i think later on we'll have a different conversation on you know on education and related issues but like you said it is this period when puberty is the big thing your mm. body is changing mm. you are um your ability to think is expanding at a rate that is very difficult to imagine uh, though we've all gone through it ourselves it's very tough to reflect on on our own uh, puberty for example so could you give us a sense of what are the challenges people are facing just for one example like as an english speaking indian who watches tv and other things i know more about teenage pregnancies in the us than about any such challenges in india so could you give us a picture about uh, how things are yeah so i think uh, teenage pregnancy as you say um is widely talked about throughout the globe but if you ask me to make a comparison between say uh, america and india i would say it's is vastly different right uh, in and, terms and the, of the drivers the factors are all yeah, very different in terms of the context itself so if you talk about the united states of america you talk about probably the need for working with young people on teenage pregnancy consequences etc but when you look at the indian population i was going by some statistics as well so we see that 11.9% of the 15 to 19 year old girls got married before 18 years so right. in our case teenage pregnancy is intertwined with marriage with the context of control over an adolescent girl sexuality right whereas if you talk about america it is about exploring sexual freedom and teenage pregnancy you know so both the contexts are vastly different in that case just as professor lingam was also mentioning a uh, uh, little while ago in our case especially in india if suppose an adolescent girl were to explore her sexuality engage in sexual intercourse consensually and if she happens to get pregnant the next step might be that she might be coerced into marriage to be able to save the family honor right. so in that sense i think we really as a society need to think about how to approach aspects of growing up that are beyond cracking entrance exams mm. or going to 10000 different classes to prove our acumen you know right. as people i mean for example if i were to look at my adolescence it was around at the age of 11 that my mother and sister sat down with me and talked to me about puberty about the onset of my periods you know and i felt really privileged and i went to one of the very elite schools and realized that most of my other peers all girls we were in a girls school were shocked to know that i was told about periods even before the onset mm. and that would make you in a very small minority of people in india i'm a minuscule minority even now <laughs> if you ask me i'm 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 40 years old and i still feel that i'm a minuscule minority sitting in bombay itself mm. so i think it's not easy and, and in fact with this whole discussion on uh, sanitary napkins 
so lot of girls are being told about menstruation right there is also this thing about there's no need to be ashamed of your body and uh, if you were to bleed there's nothing wrong about it that kind of messaging is coming but i don't think they still tell you what is the relationship of menstruation to pregnancy exactly okay uh, when i menstruated the first time i thought it happens once and i have arrived as an adult and that's the end of the story you know i was told no it's going to happen every month you know but right. this whole cycle and what does the cycle do and what is ovulation none of these things really get discussed let's say within families maybe some families do but they don't discuss parents don't discuss with children schools just don't want to do it there have been attempts you know for example terms like comprehensive sexual education is a very important i mean important set of things that have to be shared with children in schools however every time they bring that in the sex part is completely removed so right. there are a lot of terminologies like life skills education you know all kinds right. of euphemistic terminologies are used but then much of it becomes very moralistic and within that they only have packaging about that your body will change you right. know and that you have to become more responsible that you would menstruate if you're a girl you know and that you might have an attraction but then it goes on to um, you know drug abuse it's about being responsible it's about skills so it goes into many thing else other than these core things like you know what is attraction what is sexual pleasure uh, what is consent how do you actually recognize your body and its changes and what is it that you need to do none of these become central to what is imparted to young children right. and interestingly they are conflicted you know if you you said i don't remember how did i go through my adolescence and puberty but i think current generation are really conflicted Hmm. because they actually have access to cell phones smartphones you know within that they have access to the internet and everything the media messaging whether it's films whether it's any product that is there it's always telling you that love is in the air it always happens you know its body just tells you you know you'll find your partner all kinds of things so love is always in the air right. and you know having love having a partner engaging in activities all these are seen as hip and happening but everybody else tells them no right. schools don't want to talk about it parents don't want to talk about it and the government legislate and the idea that pleasure can be associated with it and it hmm. can be safe and good hmm. is just such a big create yes. such a big moral fact, conflict would, right so I you would, feel guilt yeah. you feel yeah. if you do feel happy you, there is yes. guilt as well i remember i mean forget special education even having gone to a quite a good school my particular class was lucky because in you know usually when class 9 in cbse is when sort of human reproduction comes up as a subject in biology hmm. and usually most teacher teachers teacher ask you to read it yourself yes it's a self study <laughs> thankfully uh, i had a teacher who was um, fortunate enough he literally bolted the door and said look i want to have two sessions no holds barred all of you in class girls and boys no nothing separate ask me anything and we asked him everything mm. and we got good answers and i still remember because you know our the next section of students they didn't have they were made to do self study so they would you know 
come and ask us can you ask this question and find out the answer mm. and all of us collectively i just felt more educated at the end of it yeah. and and felt okay okay this is what this is this mm. is what something else is mm. and and so uh, it gave me confidence and right. of course this is coming from a position of extreme privilege mm. and even that yeah. this being the exceptional teacher mm. who made it a yeah. point Absolutely. to do this yeah uh, so can you tell us a little bit about what is the state of awareness and education not just at the level of the children growing up mm. but also the parents and others because i remember even on something like maternal health and early childhood health two or three generations ago we had lots of wrong ideas right a newborn baby should not be exposed to sunlight there'd be some communities which would mm. you know put oils and other things thylums as mm. they say on on the baby it was a very different thing that was done and it was not very helpful mm. you need um young babies to be exposed to sunlight the best thing to, to you know go against early childhood jaundice and so on so over time doctors have managed to you know change the minds of various people and you know stop a lot of silly and honestly harmful practices do you see something similar here so i see uh, if you ask me i i see a big dichotomy there uh, i think going back to childhood it is about helping children to become very comfortable with the different parts of their body by different parts i mean the different parts of the body you know not just the hands and the feet and the legs and the eyes and the nose but the fact that uh, there is a penis and a vagina and they should be called a penis and a vagina is extremely important and this is of course first hand uh, experiment and experience uh, with my child who's who'll turn 9 in 2 months i think we taught him uh, to say a penis a penis when he was 3 years old and our family was completely shocked they didn't know what we were doing they thought we were doing the wrong thing by exposing our child to terms that are scientific you know so i think for me it really begins from there because we have come across uh, innumerable cases of abuse where the children have not been able to articulate violation of their bodies because they have not been told about the scientific terminology of specific body parts they yeah. still remain as private parts or right. or get lost right. somewhere yeah? yeah so in that sense i think what is extremely important is educating parents uh, especially i mean i work with an organization called sneha and one of our big strategy changes 3 years back was to educate parents as rigorously as we do young people and we see that parents are receptive okay so uh, i must also lay down here the optimistic aspect of it all <laughs> so parents especially mothers and these are mothers who live in deprived conditions very challenged they have migrated from the poorest parts of india the remotest parts of india and when we had conversations with mothers we realized that one thing that came up as a pattern was that uh, i i'll use hindi to get the sense of it here when the mothers said 10 saal ki thi tab aakhri baar maine bahar khela tha jab se 10 saal ki ho gayi uske baad se maine bahar khela nahi hai so this whole aspect of restricting 
mobility of young girls by the time they reach 10 years of age says a lot about how as a society or as a civilization we construct mobility sexuality control over sexuality control over women's bodies and how that gets perpetuated as all of us grow up yeah i think um while working on the meri bari campaign i want to build on some of the points that came up here uh, i think uh, some of us have come from privileged schools where uh, we are taught these subjects uh, when these girls conducted the social audits on the services that were being provided by these institutions some of the nuances that came out were most of the schools have male teachers how are girls supposed to open up to them uh the second thing that came up very often was that there are no separate toilets for boys and girls in schools so once they start menstruating they have to drop out of school uh then and this is a problem that's been identified for quite a while quite right? a while now i mean since even yeah. before the swachh bharat abhiyan yes. started yeah. yes i mean toilets in schools was a priority even in the nirmal hmm. bharat abhiyan hmm. and even now Yeah so now there. it seems like toilets are there toilets but either they are not water mm. yeah water is water not there the they are not clean or they're just locked you're not allowed to use them while the policy says that there are toilets and mm. there are toilets available um and the, further i mean uh, if you're menstruating that's a whole other challenge right other we challenge still don't know how to treat menstrual waste or mm. i don't know how um yeah um, so forget menstrual waste there's no water in the toilet no if water. you're menstruating so you don't go to the school And, and uh, when hmm. so which is something that i think we want to explore more in the education section as hmm. well because that has been one of the biggest reasons for dropouts right we are managing yeah. to get people into schools uh, the problem from 30 40 years ago where parents did not want to invest in hmm. education of their children especially their girl children by and large that's changed right i mean hmm. the majority what 95 96% enrollment in class 1 and 2 yeah. but clearly by the time puberty comes around Mm. that becomes a sufficient reason to pull yeah. people out of school mm. and that seems mm. terrible mm. right um so we've been talking about disparate things here some around sexuality some about menstrual health about other things and this is why there's a whole framework of the SRHR right if mm. i'm getting this mm. right sexual and reproductive health rights mm. so could you tell me uh, dr lingam about what SRHR is and how do we look at this comprehensively because mm. there seem to be so many pieces of the puzzle mm. and pieces of the puzzle that involve young women and young men as well yes because again you need different things to be emphasized in various places mm. i mean the idea of consent seems to be missing in general from all of mm. indian society mm. forget privilege or no privilege mm. so how do we uh, articulate SRHR and Could you tell us yeah. a little bit? See, more almost that? after the ICPD, which is the International Conference on Population Development that took place in Cairo okay. in the mid '90s, from then on, very clearly the focus on adolescent health has been articulated. Okay. okay, and also there's been a shift in that particular conference, the UN conference, that uh, it's not good enough to only talk about family planning, but we need to also talk about a range of other services that people need that goes beyond. contraception you know uh, safe pregnancy and childbirth we need to go beyond that because at that point of time the entire hiv pandemic came up in a big way right. things to do with uh, stds stis and rtis has come up in a big way and uh, the clarity was that 
sex doesn't happen only within marriage it happens outside marriage mm-hmm. and not all sex is only for procreation but it's also for pleasure though it's so difficult to accept it within right. a un mm-hmm. context where for many countries theologically that's not acceptable theologically right. sex can never be for pleasure but it's only for procreation so they have lot of difficulty accepting that many other possibilities happen and it also lead to a variety of requirements for services and also maybe a variety of health related morbidities that come up right. okay so they had to face hiv in the face and that's when the need to also understand that adolescent sexuality is very important and the need to provide uh, services for young people and without any you know what do you call Uh, moralistic positions about it you know rights based approach to providing services to young people where they can go and access contraceptive services they can go and ask for information and maybe also a human abortion if required right that was the kind of understanding that was there however you see as we go as we pass by all the years it's a lot of dilution of all that mm-hmm. when it comes to adolescent health in the indian context for girls it's always about anemia nutrition and it's about sanit now it's menstrual hygiene okay right. and for boys there is always a discomfort there have been certain youth clinics that have been put up so that young boys can go and talk and ask for information etc but these are like very few and they spread so thin mm-hmm. and uh, if they're not planned and you know institutionalized after one particular you know program one particular government they just die a natural death and again nobody t- talks about these things so there is uh, that gap that still exists okay. while there is a lot of hmm. policy articulation and lot of very good rhetoric that is in place in terms of the actual you know having those programs in place the budgets in place and also having the right content to see that these things work have the human resources with all the right capacities in place all these are very big uh, there's a gap and there's a big question mark about how they are done and what they do right. okay but in everyday life when you see particularly for young girls there is a focus on education but very often girls are told that only if you do well in school you will continue the hmm. day you fail your exam we're going to put you at home you'll need to learn all the domestic work and then you'll get married right. so we have done some studies in mumbai urban low income neighborhoods hmm. where girls really work hard and then when you ask them why is it that you work so hard they'll say if i have to avert marriage i have to study so you know while focus on education is something that they see is very important very often that's the only way they can push and delay marriages for themselves right. okay and we're so, seeing that at every income group right yeah, i yeah. mean it's, it's not yeah. just a problem so girls are doing very well right because families don't want to invest but reluctantly invest and if the girl is doing very well they can't pull back they keep investing and you start seeing that boys are given greater access to public spaces greater mobility you know there's a huge focus on being masculine being assertive being aggressive being articulate being performing etc so they are all all outbound and the girls are all inbound so i remember even when i used to talk to my son he used to say those girls they are always at home and they do ratta you know and we go out and play so i don't get that much time to uh, study is what he used to say but the gendered roles in which where girls are inhibited from mobility and boys are given access to public spaces and mobility itself then creates these 
very diverse kind of focus on what they do with their lives okay mm. and so girls are told that if you're a good girl you should not be asking questions mm-hmm. if you're a good girl you're not going to be focused on your body if you're a good girl you're not going to be attracted to men so there are lots of things that are laid out mm-hmm. for girls so in order to make sure that they don't fall off in the fault lines girls be are good girls right but how long are they going to be good there's so much happening around their lives you know all and, other and so much pressure driving there are boys there is attraction you know they and then you also would know that many young people now have phones in their hands and they actually have access to porn very early yeah. okay so in the absence of uh, healthy what do you call uh, equal and uh, humane ways of thinking about sex and pleasure you only will see porn as the way of doing sexual activity right mm-hmm. and there is violence built into it so how do you look at interpersonal gender relationships that are equal and also respectful and consensual is something not provided anywhere mm-hmm. neither the family is doing it nor the school is doing it but media is pumping a lot of this all the time so they actually look at violence itself as love and you know that for the longest time the first day in college is always confronting this hero who will along yeah. with his gang of friends mm. tease the heroine every hindi films first scene was that kuch kuch hota hai if you take it right yeah. now imagine in this day and age can we do that you know so and, what and and the message it is sending to both the women and especially the young men mm. saying if you just pursue hard enough yes. she will say yes yes and which is right which is just so wrong on so many levels yeah And, and but but it's still fed right even today yeah, movies no, yes, from yeah. tamil and if you, if you look at the movies in fact it's very sad that very few movies that are trying to deconstruct issues of consent masculinity sexuality are still termed as parallel cinema mm. you know mm. as opposed to the mainstream mm. ones where once again love is all about pursuing you know getting her stalking, to violence. stalking yeah. violence yeah violence and stalking now stalking has almost become the norm especially with phones in our mm. hands mm. that that entire uh, boundary mm. i think has been crossed mm. uh, more often than not right. across age groups yeah. right. if you look at it so right since adolescence to the middle ages or what not stalking has become a normative behavior and in fact i keep reading texts and content on how there are terminologies that are being innovated and invented on a daily basis to so for example somebody was talking to me about something called snapchat you know where right. probably you can delete what messages, you had written yeah. delete messages etc so we are as a society almost inventing ways of making sure that we violate and then nobody gets to know you know so i th- i think it's extremely important to talk about how media shapes the entire landscape of adolescence growing up and what it means to all of us mm-hmm. you know i was just thinking when we we were talking about srhr so for the srh to bring in the r in terms of rights itself has taken more than two decades mm-hmm. as as uh, professor lingam was mentioning it was to do with a lot of family planning and then we jumped into 
rights based aspects mm-hmm. but are we so the world health organization talks about adolescent competency so as a society are we adolescent competent to deal with the issues of young people in an overexposed era and i will very briefly bring in here the intertwined aspect of emotionality and mental health for okay. adolescents so while we talk about sexuality bodily changes pubertal changes there are a lot of changes happening within the brain within emotions the entire gamut also of opening up of sexualities homophobia you know uh, heterosexuality homosexuality and therefore what it means for young people to go through the emotional turbulence that they do because it is largely intangible hmm. right so if a young girl uh, gets her periods we might have in some families now when the mother will sit down and explain things to her but what comes with the periods might also be irritability mm-hmm. you know and a whole lot of other emotional issues so we as parents or we as a society are we competent enough to look at those aspects which may not be as tangible and yet are so very important for young people So, so I'll just uh, build on that. Um, I think when we look at media, like at least the geographies that we are working in uh, for the 10 to 19, the Adolescents Collaborative, that's largely Jharkhand and Rajasthan, where girls do not have access to mobile phones. There is absolutely no internet there. So where they're gaining all of this knowledge is very limited still to frontline workers. And if our frontline workers are still not opening up about contraceptions, they're not opening about... methods of getting pregnant what does it mean for them um etc so i think for them uh, at least while we saw it at the campaign was uh, there is silence around it there is a lot of stigma around it and absolutely no media exposure uh, so there is a downside of not having any media exposure to all of this as well um and to your point of like talking about stalking i think here we saw many girls dropping out of school because men stalk them mm-hmm. when they're going to school So that was another aspect that came up. And uh, the other point on menstruation, right? Like many girls came up and said, while they're giving us sanitary napkins, are they giving us uh, medicines to reduce um, stomach aches that we have? We have irritations. What are they doing to solve for it? They're absolutely doing nothing. They're just giving them sanitary napkins to use and not uh, supporting them through the journey of how to deal with periods and what it means for them. Thank those you. are in fact silences even in medical education mm-hmm. yeah you know so if women have a lot of abdominal pain and mm-hmm. cramps actually there isn't much research to say why do they get that mm-hmm. okay or what should be done so typically when women go to gynecologists and complain about this they are given a lot of painkillers and very often doctors will tell them you know once you get married and have a child this will settle mm. of course the body goes through its <laughs> yes. own changes but what if the girl says i don't want to get married yeah. and i won't have children am i going to carry on with these abdominal pains all my life they have no answer so a lot of medical research actually does not happen on women right. they happen on male bodies all the medical you know innovations that we have the medicines that are produced are only produced by doing research on men And, and white certain, men and that a yeah, lot of the time. Yeah. Right? Yeah, the trials, poor, poor uh, immigrant uh, men, and the human trials also happen in India. So they are largely mm-hmm. migrant workers and people who don't have any mm-hmm. other work to do, etc. 
So only certain things where there is research on women, certain contraceptives, etc. On women, otherwise for lots yeah. of right. problems. On and and a lot of the times, yeah. even the the solutions and the medical approach mm. is how do you manage some problems? Say mm. PCOS, PCOD. Mm. How do you ensure that you remain fertile and able mm. to have children mm. and bear children mm. while? Uh, having mm. that condition rather mm. than saying how do you mm. live a good and healthy lifestyle that is comfortable yeah. that is not painful yes. i don't think there's even a therapeutic approach mm. which focuses on lifestyle rather than fertility mm. no in fact yeah. girls are told that it is pretty normal so dysmenorrhea is normalized in the sense that as a girl you should be able to bear the pain mm. because your body is constructed likewise Okay. <laughs> so then that pain so so just think about it. Uh, so you right can trace that back to the original sin and any other things <laughs> and anything every else that will come right? after that. So right. any other pain that comes after that. Hmm. So then the woman has to be prepared to bear not just the physical pains, the labor pain, the dysmenorrhea pain etc. but also the emotional pain and the psychological trauma and everything else that right. might come about. as as one grows up you know and something that we as a society is really silent about is intimate partner violence and we are seeing this more and more among young adolescent girls who are going out you know jet setting trying to prove their mettle as professor lingam was uh, also mentioning very aspirational mm. you know really wanting to go to college prove that you know i don't want to get married please let me study hmm. but where they are faltering is their inability to negotiate the very complicated emotional turmoil when it comes to relationships with their intimate partners and when we work with uh, children from um, socioeconomically deprived families we see that they often come to us and they say that you know uh, he's my partner mm -hmm. you know so it it is very difficult for me to go against him because this relationship is extremely important for me and often they don't have a recourse to go to their parents no, if the partner is mistreating them because the parental solution they is okay really. you just kill that relationship <laughs> kill that equation Absolutely. separate therefore you will be safe Absolutely. right so it's sequestering as a, mm. a safety solution exactly so they are unable to deal with the pressures of masculinity because it is very well constructed that a boy will have certain entitlements mm. over the body of his girlfriend or mm. his partner you know right yeah. so so in this i have one sort of uh, follow up question so given the state of ignorance misinformation bad action and bad knowledge among in every level of society right now to what extent does a rights based approach in this make a difference because to me conceptually for example if we talk about education the idea of aiming for universal access to quality education is one thing a right to education notionally guaranteed by the government is another right and in a country where you know we don't have laws that are enforceable we don't have policies that are enforceable our capacity of the executive and of the legislature is so weak to what extent do rights help to articulated rights that get codified in law somewhere do they make a I difference i think we really need to begin with um you know 
not just the school system but at the level of the family mm-hmm. if we can start even start talking to our children about being a citizen mm. the idea of citizenship itself is never talked about when we dwell upon conversations with our children even at homes you know so we are taught about prayers we are taught about the religions that we might be affiliated to we are told to uh, compete become educated etc but the fact that we live in a collective and there are certain responsibilities that all of us have towards living in a collective and the fact that my right comes with my responsibility and the fact that so even in terms of say consent the fact that it is rightful to seek consent must begin from early childhood if mm. you were to ask me so the constitution of india if you look at it has become something which is to be talked about probably by parliamentarians when something occurs somewhere or it's in the realm of the judiciary right. to talk about it but the fact that it is actually a handbook that can guide each person right since childhood in terms of building attitudes of non discrimination in terms of building attitudes of seeking one's rights has still not seeped into the conversation the last bit that i want to add here is that we come across a lot of young people young women who say that why isn't the government legislating on increasing the age of marriage the legal mm. age of marriage for girls to 21 because if it's 18 it doesn't allow me to complete my graduate level education mm-hmm. you know so while a boy goes on to finish his graduate level education at the age of 21 i do not get it as a right and in this you know i i also often think one is the right sort of coming from the constitution but the constitution also sort of says that look these are your fundamental rights i am just enshrining Absolutely. them for you yeah. but you had them already i am not giving it's it to dead. you right? it's right so so system. here the idea of to me the core and i think my colleague amit verma who runs the scene and the unseen podcast articulated it really well and that all these rights stem from self ownership right yeah. if you can understand the idea that you own yourself and your body Absolutely. and your emotions and your actions everything else can flow from that consent to how do you violate somebody else's trust or consent how do you deal with everything but you know that, this becomes a societal conversation rather than you know i will pass a new law in parliament and some more rights get added exactly. and then doesn't and, really yeah. it feels like a bandaid people say oh, look mm-hmm. something had to be done we did something now it's in the law now we need to implement it's an implementation issue it's not a law issue anymore mm-hmm. and i find that deeply offensive because you're making unimplementable laws and therefore ticking a check box so you know you can say that we are un compliant in some way whatever but is an is a difference being made to the lives of people whose rights are actually being violated so i think as practitioners um it's very important that we start taking the rights based approach for at least our program designs and we did try to do that with the campaign where we said girls are going to be the owners of the campaign they are going to design the discourse narrative they are going to really carve out the journey of this campaign and like you said you know it it's on the ownership of each 
and every individual where this rights-based approach really comes in. And we really saw how um, transformational this was for girls, where there was absolutely like quick change in confidence agency to be able to start talking about these issues at home, in front of government, in front of men specifically. It was really transformational. And I think this was just the first step for us to try on how this rights-based approach really pans out. But it was really encouraging to see that a participatory approach and a rights-based approach can really lead to um, good results in the space of SRHR if we really um, keep girls and adolescents at the forefront of the narrative that we are trying to build. Yeah. See, if we were to look at rights purely as a public domain issue, Hmm. Uh, we still lose out the fact that what are the kind of rights to be exercised within our own family? Mm. You know, does the family as a unit or a household as a unit, is it a democratic unit? Mm. That would be my question. Do we have a democratic unit where everybody has an equal right to speak, an equal right to say what they would like to be doing there, right? It is hierarchically organized. Yeah. And, and, we, and, and we think indi- that's our culture. And yeah? the ideas of individual liberty are in direct conflict yes. with, with this a lot Absolutely. of the time. And so parents will never ask a child, what does the child want to do? Okay. How does the child want to grow? What are the perspectives of the child about anything and everything within the family? They don't. Right. Because there is this understanding they are too small. They don't know. We know what's best for you. Right. right? So even when a parent gives a whack to a child, the parent will say because I love you I gave you this whack so the child always thinks that okay if somebody loves me they're going to give me a whack beating is part of love you know so you see within the family the intra-household dynamics are definitely not so positively inclined to a rights-based approach that you grow thinking of all the hierarchies there are lots of families where young men call their father the tiger they negotiate lots of things within the family, within them, with the mother. Daughters will negotiate a lot of things with the father because the mother becomes the, you know, the policewoman for patriarchy to raise a good daughter. So she wouldn't want to give a lot of opportunities for the girl to do other things, go out, be late in the night, out in all that. So we do see a lot of, you know, conflictual things that happen within the family. And therefore, girls are told, do study. But, you know, whatever you're going to study, you have to make sure it doesn't come. It doesn't conflict your role as a woman, as a wife, as a mother. So you start making your career choices, everything within those fault lines. So there are lots of fault lines within our family system and particularly from a gender perspective. Right. So recognizing that everybody has a right recognizing that everybody else also has a right and that you need to have a thought of, you know, consensus building within the family. All these, how many parents are actually going to accept these as important principles of being good parents? You know, for every profession in this world, you need training. Only for being parents, you don't need any training. (laughs) You just need a body, male body and a female body and once you cross a particular age and you have employment for middle class people they are good good to go and you get married so that again you start the whole cycle of giving birth to children and raising them etc but what is your training to raise this child right so there is there is a huge issue okay and uh, when you talk about rights i think we need to look at it in highly granular manner hmm. and see whether it's really getting implemented at the family level and no legislation can do this yeah cultural changes have to happen and they will only happen with conversations like this yes. 
okay we talk in the classrooms we do this all the time we have all kinds yes. of messaging that's happening you know i think it's important to keep talking so at some point things will start changing i think more I think, women uh, will start asking questions yes you uh, know more you. gender non conforming individuals will say what's wrong if not don't want to be a girl if i don't want to be a boy you know families will start accepting them because they accept that there is a diversity we don't need to be a binary and we are not binary you know it's we are beyond binary so all those will become acceptable ways of thinking about human beings i think a little more nuance to this is that we are a highly highly diversified and heterogeneous society across the board so be it religion orientations uh, orientations of caste orientations of socioeconomic class urban rural so parenting is definitely influenced by all these aspects as well each context has its own way of looking at parenting conversations with the children with the adolescents etc so i mean the experiment that i have probably taken up with my child may not be the case with many other people especially uh, migrant families to an urban locale like this where if you look at migrant communities within the city of bombay you'll find several different narratives where people are trying to hold very dearly to the roots of the native place they have arrived from and women's bodies often become the repositories of the value systems that are left back home somewhere you know and that becomes such such a restriction on adolescent girls as they are growing up and we often don't talk about it you know it might be very easy for me to say that my 9 year old is very well aware about the politics of maharashtra at present but that may not be the case in many many other families we work with yeah and and so. like you said i mean social change and context is so different and social change happens almost generationally right i mean the stories have sort of grown up with from my grandmother and others my grandmother had the, one of my grandmothers had this tale of how her mother when um, she was menstruating had to sit at the edge of the cow shed to have her meals and she didn't want to impose that on her child so my uh, again the next generation the uh, daughter was not made to sit in the cow shed but made to sit in you know the little uh, seating space just at the entrance of the house of the village house the porch and then that moved to okay inside the house but you have your own plate down to someone like my mother's generation where i think there were five sisters or something and their mother decided enough's enough all of this is rubbish <laughs> it, and it is logistically impossible to enforce so we'll just get rid of it so it's it almost took a generation of women saying i don't want my daughter's life to be as miserable as mine was and some change happens but that change can also be very slow and you know we can't let four generations suffer just for some amount of incremental change so um, on that note let's take a quick break and come back and we'll talk about the abmeri bari campaign and perhaps also other social initiatives and others that you've seen over the last few years where you see some difference happening at some scale hmm sure did you know that parsis in mumbai instead of being left at the tower of silence after they die are now cremated and why because a cow fell sick in the early 1990s Did you know that the smog in Delhi is caused by something that farmers in Punjab do and that there's no way to stop them? 
Did you know that there wasn't one gas tragedy in Bhopal but three? One of them was seen but two were unseen. Did you know that many well-intentioned government policies hurt the people they're supposed to help? Why was demonetization a bad idea? How should GST have been implemented? Why are all our politicians so corrupt when not all of them are bad people? I'm Amit Verma and in my weekly podcast The Seen and the Unseen I take a shot at answering all these questions and many more. I aim to go beyond the scene and show you the unseen effects of public policy and private action. I speak to experts on economics, political philosophy, cognitive neuroscience and constitutional law so that the insights can blow not only my mind but also yours. The Seen and the Unseen releases every Monday. So do check out the archives and follow the show at seenunseen.in. You can also subscribe to The Seen and the Unseen on whatever podcast app you happen to prefer. Welcome back to the Pragati podcast. I'm Pavan Srinath here and we are having a fascinating conversation here in Mumbai. Gurpriya from Dasra, the Abmeri Bari campaign and initiative started a couple of years ago. Tell us how this started. I mean, we've gotten a sense of how much of a vacuum this space is and how did a philanthropic organization sort of zoom in on this topic? Is it by talking to, I'm sure it must be from various conversations with the people we have in the room and elsewhere. But tell us the genesis of this. Um, so, Abmeri Bari campaign is part of the 10 to 19 Dasra Adolescence Collaborative. Okay. Um, as we have discussed, the 10 to 19 is that invisible um, demographic. It's not being talked about as when uh, two years ago, the 10 to 19 Dasra Adolescence Collaborative started uh, to bring together funders, non-profits, practitioners in the space uh, to start highlighting some of the issues, to start implementing and getting uh, more visibility to this issue in India. And so we started working on four outcomes. Uh, one was delaying age at pregnancy, delaying age at marriage, keeping girls in school and working on increasing their agency and confidence. And so um, while there was implementation happening in Jharkhand um, on these through four partner organizations, last year we realized that uh, it is critical to start working on uh, agency and confidence. And that was really the genesis of the Abmeri Bari campaign. So the Abmeri Bari campaign started as a girls-led movement okay. um, by keeping girls at the center of it uh, to be able to hold their government officials at a block district level accountable for delivery of um, adolescent-focused services and programs at that level. Right. So this is almost, instead of experts, activists, people working in various non-profits, while they're all playing very essential roles, you had uh, various uh, adolescent young women uh, who are from what? Uh, government schools, private schools, yeah. rural, um, urban? So um, with the campaign, uh, we decided to go to Jharkhand and Rajasthan and we built a cohort of 300 girl champions. Okay. Um, so they come from vulnerable districts. Some of these districts are covered under the Rashtriya Kishore Swasthya Karikram and Innovation Lab because they are recognized as very vulnerable for adolescents. Um, most of them are school-going, college-going. A few of them have already been uh, 
leaders in their own right but we did try to get in other girls who either had experienced child marriage themselves or had seen it happen to friends etc girls who had brought in a lot more perspective uh, to the campaign so uh, these 300 girls come from different backgrounds and um, so they are sort of auditing government services yes. and laws and other things yeah. in their own environment yeah so then um, we took a participatory um, approach to developing a social audit where girls identified uh, five issues that were key to them the issues were health education sexual and reproductive health and rights nutrition and child protection through these five issues they said that we want to go and interview uh, these institutions these stakeholders and then they identified the questions that they would want to ask them the questions were around regularity quality accessibility and their accountability vis-a-vis community and authority as well so through the campaign really saw these girls developing the entire tool so it wasn't like uh, a top down approach where a tool was given to them to implement but really grounds up where they had developed the tool so there was a sense of ownership uh, in that way they were able to go out and interview government officials for some of them it was the first time to go and talk to block development officer or a district collector so they came back feeling that yeah they do have a place in the governance system their voices are being heard This is fantastic. I remember I think this is from what maybe almost 20 years ago. So you might know of this idea of the citizen report card that was yeah. championed a while back yeah. and there was one experiment done I think in Bangalore, in Bangalore. called the children's yeah. citizen report yes. card where basically you know you could teach children how to check whether a road has been exactly. laid properly. It's not very difficult. And I'm glad that in 2019 this has been pushed to a level where yeah. you have girl champions who are auditing from everything from education to other services that the state is supposed to provide to them mm-hmm. and sort of looking at the state of things and i like that you know um, you're following sort of the overall aim of the program and you know, you know the i like that the champions have agency in sort of designing what they're doing and doing this we have heard enough stories of how uh, many women getting into self help groups slowly learned how to manage finances better True. learned arithmetic mm. better managed various things and i'm so happy that this is happening at a much earlier age mm. where they can be more empowered about things beyond even finances and sort of household management but also about their own sexuality and their own mm. education and their own needs of various kinds so so far any specific highlights that you would want to share relating to um, SRHR sure so in jharkhand the girls did audits of 63 villages and in rajasthan of 22 so we were looking at a data set of around um, 85 villages so these girls came back again to do the analysis as well so they had done all the like you said generating the scorecards doing the calculations and then suggesting a few recommendations and a few things that really stood out for them um one was that under rk sk um each block and district is supposed to have at and friendly health clinic like dr lingam mentioned that these youth clinics are there but are they functioning well so while they did the entire thing there were a few highlights where they said that they're not open all 5 days they're just open for a few days uh, a few of the clinics do not have uh, a female medical counselor so accessibility gets reduced there most of the girls stay in villages that are far from these block and district uh, institutions they have to travel 20 kilometers to access a clinic and to tell at home that 
we will be going to an AFHC in itself will not be allowed. So the recommendation was that our frontline workers, ANMs, ASHAs, Anganwadi should be better equipped to be able to share knowledge on adolescent uh, health. Currently, Anganwadis are looking at zero to five, and then. Um, at maternal health, etc. They're not looking at the adolescent age group. Um, there's also this thing, right, that ultimately every grand government scheme rests on the shoulders of Asha and Anganwadi workers. <laughs> and how many things are they supposed to do? And, <laughs> and then addition girls said that they should do this as well. Yeah. I completely understand where they're coming from and it also highlights the challenge of how weak our capacity is really, right, when it comes to local governance to handle any of these things. In fact, Mm. uh, it's very interesting because uh, an evaluation, I mean, I fortunately straddle research and practice, so it kind of allows me to uh, delve into research as well Mm. um, at times. So the Rashtri Kishore Swasthi Karikram, if you look at the document and then the updated document from 2018... Mm. Uh, on paper, hmm. it is very comprehensive, you know, uh, in terms of the fact that it has really tried to encompass the different aspects of young lives hmm. in minute details, you know, uh, to the extent of really looking at the hierarchies in local governance from the village upward. But what is missing is uh, the evaluation shows that there is hardly a presence of the scheme or the program in the urban arena. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you look at it, there's a huge burden of diseases among the adolescent population in urban India today. Mm -hmm. And and therefore, the need to implement the Rashtri Kishore Swasthya Karikram across urban areas. So we at Sneha currently... We are working very closely with the public health department at the uh, Municipal Corporation of Greater Mumbai here to get the top bosses to understand what the RKSK mandates are, to build the protocols. And we are trying to support them in strengthening capacities of not just the A&Ms, but the medical officers, as well as the doctors involved to become adolescent competent. Because I think what's happening is that even when you have services, what is your attitudinal uh, orientation towards an adolescent girl walking into an adolescent-friendly health clinic and asking for a certain service is very important. Am I, as the health worker, Am I able to suspend my morality or judgment when I think about that young person who is walking into the clinic becomes extremely important uh, in terms of my competency or my capacity. And we are still a country where even if you are well off and you are seeking therapy and you go to a therapist, you will likely have to face the biases and the judgments and the stigma of that therapist. And we are talking about educating sort of government workers working at various Mm -hmm. levels in cities and villages. But but I really liked what you said about cities being the missing focus. Now we are 
well above 30% of the population uh, in the country. And the same thing's been happening everywhere, right? We had the National Rural Health Mission since 2005 mm, yeah, or so. Yeah. And then the urban thing got added in 13 or 14. But with very limited imagination. In the urban setting, they wanted to set up a few little hospitals and community health centers. Whereas in urban areas, we have communicable diseases that are spreading rampantly. You need epidemiology, you need different things to genuinely combat sort of urban challenges in healthcare. It's the same here, right? Urban, most likely, you know, uh, young men and women will have access to phones, will have access to all kinds of information and misinformation. It's not like they have access to no information, right? Mm -hmm. Like like it might be in rural Rajasthan or somewhere else. So the challenges are fundamentally different. And India does not want to acknowledge the urban challenges that we sort of have. In fact, much related to what uh, Rama was saying, what is the perspective of the doctor and the health personnel when a young person walks into the clinic? Let's say it's a young girl and she's asking for contraception. Probably there's still a different way in which she would look. But if she says that, you know, she has abdominal pain or she's missed her periods. uh, In fact, the problem that we are facing at this point of time is the hospital is supposed to mandatorily report to the police that this young girl who's below the age of 18 is suspected to be pregnant or is pregnant. Okay. Okay. So this is linked to also what we were talking earlier about the POXO. Hmm. You know, the act that has come about to deal with issues of sexual abuse and make sure that children don't face any kind of sexual offense and sexual assault. What they have done is they in that act, the age at consent has been fixed at 18. Okay, and they said this age at 18 is also linked to the age at marriage. Okay, so we need to have a parity between these two legislations and they made it 18, which then means all kinds of sexual activity, which is consensual, below the age of 18, then is criminalized. Okay, it's criminalized. So if a girl comes and then she says, yeah, it's a consensual relationship and that's my boyfriend, I didn't know about contraceptive. And now I think I'm pregnant, please check. And I want to go in for an abortion. That's a case that is completely what they have to put out to the police. It becomes a medical legal case. And the young person will come under the rape legislation. And he'll be booked under the rape laws. And uh, he has to go to the prison. Okay. And this girl, she cannot consent for an abortion. So it's her parent or somebody else who has to give the formal consent for an abortion and sometimes they delay it so much that if, that she's the, no more if she crosses 20 or, weeks then yeah. they'll keep getting into this debate whether it's better for her to carry on the pregnancy right. or it's better to go in for an abortion so there's so many cases in this country where the courts keep saying a 12 year old girl can go ahead with her pregnancy because that's better for the fetus and uh, she probably can't handle an abortion You know, so we are getting into so many of these contradictions. Many other uh, countries in the world, what they do is, though they have this issue of age at consent, they also look at the age difference between the girl and the boy. So if it's around below four years or five years, then they say this is not the same as a rape. Okay, And if the girl is clearly saying it's consensual. So if a girl is 16 and the man is 35, that's different. Then, yeah, the power relationship is very different. Yeah, this girl is 14, 15 and she has a boyfriend or somebody whom she had just an attempt to understand what is sex all about. In fact, many of them don't know that a sexual activity leads to To pregnancy. pregnancy. I know of young girls who said 
that they have seen pregnant women who are all married so very often when they engage in sex they tell each other abhi shaadi nahi hua na pregnancy nahi aayega okay so there is a lot of um, you know misinformation and lack of knowledge and information so we are bound to get into this so you see that the silences that we are talking about if families don't handle it schools don't handle it across the board all schools don't handle it then we land up with all these social problems that we are getting into now where the numbers of cases coming under poxo is really shooting you know and often then uh, police and the hospitals will talk about these as false rape cases right mm-hmm. okay yeah. then rape cases per se then get into this falsehood as a framework you know so they all as it is you know practically whether it's the police or the medical they don't even want to accept that the, the woman's narrative you know though the guidelines the ministry guidelines who guidelines say take the woman's point you know go on from there no they always want to prove that probably it was a consensual activity and she's turning around now and coming yeah. and saying yeah this idea of yeah vengeful litigation around this yeah. i i i, I just don't thing, understand it you see the me too or you see the sexual right. harassment the narrative is the same but in the case of adolescents and all the families become extremely difficult because right. especially mm-hmm. if the boy comes from a different religion Mm. or he comes yeah, from a lower yeah. caste mm. then immediately they go to the police and they file a missing case the girl has gone away from home and she doesn't come back so elopement uh, this so it becomes kidnapping abduction rape this slap all these cases on the young man so there are young men now uh, in this and, country and the- who are in prisons and the girls don't want to go home because they are below age 18 and they are worried that they face lot of domestic violence and also are married off early so many of them are in shelter homes okay that is the scene that we are in now and, and okay and, and, and many of the times the boys will be treated almost like adults when uh, if they are 17 or something like that Absolutely. yeah but in this case they don't okay in this case because it's a different person is a dalit person is a muslim whatever you know right. different religion different caste they have to take it out legally against that boy it's like that okay so even in police stations if, uh, hmm. uh, there have been cases when the police have advised parents that just hold on your daughter is 17 years old wait for just one more year hmm. and get her married why do you want to get into this mm-hmm. you know there have been cases where girls have said that i am being abused at home yeah by my parents and yet it is difficult for the child to go to the police station because the police is not equipped so i will not say that the police doesn't want to but the police is definitely not equipped to understand because as they are people right police is nothing from the but same society from the as same the rest society, of us who have not been enabled to competently deal with aspects like this and in in certain cases the people at the police station may also not be aware about the mandates of the poxo mm. act mm. so mm. there have been cases where it's just pure vendetta mm. between the girl's family and the boy's family and both the children are caught in the crossfire just because they might have fallen in love mm. or they wanted to explore mm. each other mm. and in so, rural areas you know the kap panchayats have already yes, yeah. come up with their own understanding right. that you know when such a love affair happens they will say now you tie a rakhi yeah. or mm. they will declare them as brother and sister or they banish them from the village or they actually do on a killing 
okay and they go to the other extent saying that none of the girls should be found with a cell phone none of mm. the daughters in law should be found with a cell phone and young men should maintain surveillance over these women and they will be given reward if they find any of these young women or i mean girls with phones so what happens is there is an increase in age at marriage there is an increase in school enrollment there's an increase in retention there is increase in the aspiration of young girls but there's a huge pushback that's happening from a patriarchal society that wants girls to be completely subdued contained be these good girls you know marry as per the caste norms marry as per the gotra norms so on and so forth right. so we are seeing what is the outcome of all this so in that sense turbulence is a good thing right because if there was no turbulence that means that the status quo continues and the patriarchal system continues so would you characterize what we are seeing around the country today as turbulence in that sense some amount of pushback so happening so i think the turbulence has been there uh, pavan hmm. if you ask me uh, because otherwise i mean even for all of us to sit around the table today in a studio talking about all this i think is a fallout of turbulence which has been there since generations you know i think what is happening is uh, the push back in terms of almost a reverse narrative after many many years of empowerment of women investing in uh, empowering women you know but i see a void also in empowering men to deal with the empowerment of women you know mm-hmm. So if you get into the narrative and it is of, not a disempowerment of anyone to yeah, empower yeah, someone. Yeah, exactly. It's not a zero sum game. Yeah. yeah. But men should know how to be able to work with and live with and also connect with women who are looking for equality. Yeah. Because men have always grown thinking of an unequal relationship. Yeah. In fact, I always joke that we have young women you know who do the national entrance exam and clear and come into the institute <laughs> at the institute where yeah. i work but once they uh, fall in love with another with a classmate a boy then they won't even know how to cross the road you know they have yes, to hold the hands hold and the hand cross the road so it's like <laughs> yeah. you only know love relationship as a hierarchical yeah, relationship exactly. you know what would be an equal love relationship is something that young people have to under- explore you know where are we exploring equal love relationships you know there's a lot of threat when there's an equal relationship so there's there's much in that sense the turbulence should lead to conversations which are talking about strengthening equality strengthening empowerment changing the entire normative framework you know reworking masculinity as not one which is this aggressive you know male but one who is a equal person you know believes in equality that kind of change if you are able to shift and i think that's a great thing that we can move towards so yeah. so with perhaps women empowerment sort of coming of age in a certain sense in mm-hmm. our society in general there is so you can say that there's been a significant pushback over the last it's few been years significant yeah. because i think there's also human tendency that we want our relative advantages right we don't want to be necessarily rich or powerful we want to be richer and more powerful than the neighbor than the person next to me and i think there is that amount of that along with our tribal yeah. nature is yeah. somewhere yeah. there within us so the sense of entitlement also at attaches complacency with everyone right? right and status quo is not just about challenging age old norms 
it is also about con- it is it is a dynamic force right. uh, it yeah. is uh, challenging status quo is very dynamic in nature you know so right. i have personally um, experienced how suddenly there is a complete silence about issues of communalism hmm. etc hmm. for example within the pocso act itself if you see a small amendment has been brought in and the media has not talked largely about it you know okay. the pocso act has suddenly particular phrase in terms of impact of communal violence or sectarian violence on the bodies of women has been taken out of the act that's the latest amendment wow now if you look at the narratives of communalism across our countries women's bodies have been utilized you know across battles wars what not especially in case of communal violence so i think there is a complete silence when it comes to homogenizing our cultures and civilizations and narratives and discourse on who we are as a nation etc etc and the fact that pretty much everyone listening to this podcast will know what love jihad is today exactly is testament to the kind of toxic narratives that have become true. dominant true mm. true so when you when you take that out of the pocso act you kind of dilute it and then as professor lingam was also mentioning it gives you greater power to customize and contextualize whether the boy who is in love with a girl is from a particular religion or a particular caste etc and is reduced to that rather mm. than exactly. anything mm. else so the way i'm seeing this at this time of great pushback stamina is key right and this <laughs> fighting this generational battle so i'm really glad that even the abmeri bari campaign is happening now because we need to sort of power through and each generation has to fight this battle again and again and generations don't come around every 20 years right every <laughs> year there is a new generation which is sort of born uh, so i'm really glad that there is action happening and though there is a lot of contestation and pushback i i hope there's enough fodder for hope there's a lot of hope there is hope but basically what we need to say is we can't talk about women's rights and girls rights yeah and in equal gender society if everything else is so unequal and exactly. also every other aspect of our life is so uh, you know communal you know so we need to have a society which is equal by all means then definitely all these rights you know clearly will have a better space and uh, way of talking and thinking about so it can't be one against the other or just one in on in place of something else it won't work like that And it's it's you can't also... have empowered women within a broader disempowered society. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's, it's it cannot be reduced to men, women. It's hmm. about power, control, and the different manifestations of power and control in the society. Uh, on that note, uh, thank you so much, Rama, Dr. Lingam, Gur- uh, Gurpriya. Thank you so much for coming on the Pragati Podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to have you all thank here. You thank you so much. much. Thank you. Thank you, Pawan. Thank you. Thank you for staying with us till the end. If you have any questions or comments, do write in to podcast at thinkpragati dot com. And hey, if you like the podcast and listen to us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and a review. It'll mean a lot to us. The Pragati Podcast is available on the IVM Podcast app and pretty much every other podcast app and platform. We are there everywhere. 
Hi, I'm Sariyu Natarajan. And I'm Alok Prasanna Kumar. And we are the hosts of the Ganatantra podcast. On this podcast, we speak to academics, social scientists, journalists and activists to find out what's actually going on in Indian politics. On this podcast, we stay away from personality politics, intrigue and gossip and instead focus on the data, research and analysis that drives all this. So tune in to the Ganatantra podcast where new episodes are out every Wednesday on the IVM podcast app, website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. How aware do you think you are of your laws and rights? Do you look up to laws when you are caught up in situations? Do you know what your rights are when you're stuck somewhere bad? Well, here's a show that can help you move an inch closer to being aware of what your rights are. Tune in to Know Your Kanoon with me, Amar Rana. This is a podcast meant to answer all your law-related queries. Catch Know Your Kanoon every week on the IVM website or the app or anywhere you get your podcast from. Hold up. 